Okay. I, uh, I got this iPad so I could have sermon notes on it. I got a red case so I knew which one was mine. But you have to remember to plug it in. <laughs> Actually, it is plugged in. I'm just kidding. Well, good morning, church. It's uh, good to see you from this place again. Uh, it's good to see you from that place as well. Uh, Marty and I are blessed uh, in our being part of Gateway Baptist Church. We can't tell you how much this church has meant to us over the years. Uh, does anybody, I'm going out on a limb here, does anybody remember what I spoke to you about the last time I was here? Does it, you do? Okay. <laughs> I saw three heads nod, which I'm going to take as a majority. They, <laughs> I, I compared temptation to a bird flying over your head. Remember that? And uh, encourage you to not let it make a nest in your hair. That's temptation and sin. Today, I want to speak to you about two things. Um, first, uh, about what it means to see the world through spiritual eyes. And why that's important for you as a Christian living in this world. I'm talking about seeing the world in a new way. A way that would cause you to abandon your culture, what you valued, what you liked, and what you disliked. Causing you to question what everyone says is the right way of thinking and doing. Giving up what you have strived to have and keep for something the world says has no value. Jim Elliott, the missionary and martyr, wrote this. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain which he cannot lose. That's crazy talk in this world. But extra extraordinary wisdom to those who have spiritual eyes. Thank you. One perceptive person in the whole group. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Now I feel bad because I'm really not thirsty. <laughs> now I'm going to drink that water. <laughs> okay. It's a life that Marty and I have committed to. And many of you have as well. And we thank God that we met Jesus on the way to wherever we were going, when we were going. And he sent us to places that we never would have been. Second, Drew suggested that it might be good for me to share what God is doing in our ministry in Haiti. I know a number of you have been to Haiti already. Jock Mel. Uh, Marty and I have come back to the States to live, but have not stopped serving the people of Haiti. Ephesians 1, 15 to 19. 
Now, I, I must tell you that the translation that I have on my iPad is not the same as what you see up here. But that's actually a good thing because it will force you to read the verse and not just listen to my voice. Paul said this, Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. First, that God, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you, Christians, the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. Second, the eyes of your understanding or heart may be enlightened. Third, that you may know what is the hope of His calling for you. Fourth, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints? And fifth, what is the exceeding greatness of His power toward us who believe according to the working of His almighty power. In Acts chapter 9, if you recall the story, Paul was on the road to Damascus, minding his own business, doing what he did every day, which was to persecute Christians. And then he met Jesus. If you remember the story, Paul was blinded. And his sight was restored when Ananias laid his hands on him. And from that day on, Paul saw the world, his own life, differently. He was no longer persecuting, but proselytizing. So Paul said in Ephesians that he wanted the people to have their spiritual eyes, the eyes of their hearts, opened. Now I'm going to do something that's uncommon, but you shouldn't be surprised by that. I want you to sing a song with me. Just a short song. And um, maybe you know this song. It's open the eyes of my heart. And we're just going to sing like one verse. But I want to sing that because I want to cement that in your mind. Are you ready? Okay. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you, to see you high and lifted up, shining in the light of your glory. Pour out your power and love, and we sing holy, holy, holy. That needs to be our attitude. That needs to be us every day. God, open the eyes of our heart. We want to see you, and we want to see the world the way that you see the world. We want to respond to the world, God, the way that you have responded to the world. We want to understand what's going on around us, God, the way that you understand what's going on around us. 
We want to see you. We want to see the world in its proper context. And I want to encourage you this morning to do that. Friends, we, the life we now live in the flesh, we live by faith in Jesus. We were born again into a spiritual reality. We live as Christians in a spiritual reality. We are in the world, but we are not of the world anymore. We need to understand that. We must see the world through spiritual eyes. In the context of a sovereign God, whereby His Word is everything that is truth. And what the world says is not. We'll talk about that. We need to have spiritual understanding. In First Chronicles 12.32, it's not on the screen, tells us about the sons of Issachar, mighty men of David. If you've never read about the mighty men of David, I encourage you to do that. That's who I want to be. And that's who you should want to be. Men, to be mighty men of David. But these sons of Issachar, they had an understanding of the times. That's who we need to be. People who have an understanding, spiritual understanding of the times. They were able to see what was going on around them and understood those events in the context of God's will and God's plan. Not just in the context of the day-to-day activity of men. That's what I'm talking about when I say we need to have spiritual eyes and spiritual understanding. Let me give you an eye test to provoke your vision and understanding a little bit. Now, now listen, you may not agree with what I'm going to say, and that's okay. okay. In light of John's prayer... As John prayed, I thought, oh, brother, wait till he hears what I have to say in a few minutes. But in light of John's prayer, I want you to consider this from the spiritual context. Okay. First spiritual provocation. The United States is not a Christian nation. You need to understand that. You need to stop thinking that the United States is a Christian nation, because it's not. The United States is a secular nation founded on biblical principles. That's what we are. Do you see that? Do you understand that? What should you expect from a nation that does not follow God? You should expect what you're getting. That's what you should expect. You need to understand that. The world sees us as a Christian nation. Even our money. I showed that to my grandson the other day. I said, hey, you want to see something? Look at this. Pulled out a $1 bill. I said, what does that say? In God we trust. I said, this country doesn't trust God. We should, we, we should understand the nation that we live in today. The spiritual context of this place we call the United States of America. 
Just because our money says we trust and follow Jehovah God does not mean we trust and follow Jehovah God. I'm not the prophet or the son of a prophet. But I told him, in 30 years or 40 years, I said, let's see, I'll be 105. In 40 years, I want you to think about what I'm telling you. I want you to look on the back of the $1 bill and see if it still says, in God we trust. Because perhaps one day they'll decide that doesn't need to be on the back of our money. Like I said, I'm not a prophet, but I, wouldn't, I believe that's true. The majority of our population is not Christian. A Gallup poll in 2005, this is 16 years ago, no, 11 years ago, thank you. wasn't a math major. In 11 years ago. They used three questions in this survey. They asked people searching for evangelicals. Have, have they shared their faith? Do they believe the Bible is the word of God? And have they personally experienced rebirth? Those are the three questions. 22% of the adults surveyed answered yes to all three. 22%. Less than a quarter. Now, you may say those aren't the three best questions to ask to determine that. Could be. You could be a Christian and have never shared your faith. There are a lot of Christians who have never shared their faith. But my point is, that's a very small number. That should alarm you. If you're thinking that this is a Christian nation, that the Christians should have a strong influence just by sheer numbers, in this country, we represent less than 25% of the population. We need to have spiritual understanding. God did not say you would be the majority. God did not say, wide is the gate to the kingdom of God. Did he? Okay. We should not expect that. You may not agree, like I said, you may not agree with those three questions. But why would you be, uh, be surprised by the decisions that are being made all around you? Why should you be surprised by the limitations on prayer and what can be said in our public schools? Why should we, you be surprised by that? Okay. You need to have understanding about the world and the, the country that you live in. We need to be like the sons of Issachar. The second Provocation. This is, John, this is where you come in. The second provocation. What if God raises up a president for the purpose of provoking the church to turn from the culture and turn back to him? What if God does that? What if God doesn't put a Christian president in the White, in the, in the White House? Is there a precedent for that? Yes, there is. We need to have spiritual understanding. Exodus 9.16 said, But I, that's God, have raised you, Pharaoh, up for this very purpose, that I might show you my power and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. We don't need a Christian president 
for the church to make a difference in this country. You need to have spiritual understanding. You need to have spiritual eyes. You need to understand that we serve the creator of God who raised that person up for his purpose. And so, 2 Chronicles 7, 14. You, many of you know that. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my first face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will heal, hear from heaven. I will forgive them and heal them. We need to be turning to God. You need to vote. You need to follow your heart. But we need to trust God. We, you need to follow the money. Do what the money says. Trust God. And don't trust the government. Daniel 2.21 says, God changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. It's God who does this. Our question should be, okay, this is who is there. God, what are you going to do? Why have you done this? We need to be faithful and obedient to the Father. And ask God to bring healing to this land. And if he doesn't, if this continues, the country continues to get darker and darker and darker, then our light will get brighter and brighter and brighter. Because the darker the night, the brighter the light. So we, we look to God and we trust Him. Remember, this is not a Christian nation. Why would you expect to have a Christian president? A Christian president will not bring revival. Only God can do that. We must have spiritual eyes to see that truth as Christians. It's in God we trust, not in men. It's the light that shines from your life that will affect your neighborhood. And it's the lights that shine from your neighborhood that will affect your city. And it's the lights that shine from your city that will affect your state. And it's the lights that shine from your state that will affect your country and so lights that shine from your country that will affect this world. It all starts with you, not with the president. Each one of us. To have spiritual vision, you must have the Spirit of God. The Spirit must be active in your life. It cannot be quenched by sin. We need Second Chronicles. We need to repent of our sin individually so that our light can shine, so that we can be the difference maker. You need to understand that. Once you have spiritual vision, you'll have spiritual understanding. Once you have spiritual understanding, you will have spiritual responsibility. We're all responsible. We have the Word of God. We're responsible for what we know. The Bible says, if you know the good to do and don't do it, what is it? It's sin. 
I'm not trying to send you on a guilt trip this morning. I'm trying to bring understanding for each one of us to know what our responsibility is. Let's get some perspective about responsibility. Christians in the United States are blessed to be a blessing. Genesis chapter 12, verse 2. And I, God, will make you, Abraham, into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. Why? So you shall be a blessing. Not so that you can sit back in your rocking chair on your porch with your ceiling fan running over your head. Keep the flies off. Relaxing, drinking your sweet tea, saying, what a great life I had. We're blessed to be a blessing. If you're a Christian, you are part of the promise that God gave to Abraham. Did you know that? Your promise. I, was, that, I didn't come up here to sing songs, but I, I was just thinking about the Gaither song, I'm a promise, I'm a possibility. You know, it's some of you younger people won't have a clue who they are or have never heard that song, but trust me, it's a good one. They Read Romans uh, chapter 4 for some insight on that. If we have material wealth, it's not just so we can have a nicer house or a nicer car or have a more secure retirement. Those things are not bad things. You need to have spiritual understanding. You need to see your life in the context of God's plan and purpose for the man, for man and for the gospel. You know, even the poorest person in this country is considered wealthy in most other countries in this world. The poorest person. Next one. Okay, you guys are going to love this. Gross domestic product. What is that? I'm about to talk about it, so I thought I'd give you a definition of it. It's the estimated value of the total worth of production and services by, say, the United States. Within its borders, calculated over one year. That's what it is. Okay? I'm, gonna, I, I'm giving that to you because I, I'm going to make a comparison. Show the, show the next one. The gross domestic product for the United States is $16,770,000,000,000. That's $52,000 per person. In Haiti, the gross domestic product is $8,500,000,000. That's $819 per person. The U.S. GDP is almost 2,000 times bigger than Haiti. 2,000 times bigger. This gets better. Show the next slide. In 2014, the U.S. purchased $21 billion in pet food. 
which is two and a half times the GDP of Haiti. Think about that. What are we doing? What are we doing? That was rhetorical. Matthew 25, 33 to 40. Great water. Slide. It says, this is about Jesus separating the sheep and the goats. You have the, all of the whole verses in multiple slides? Okay, okay. Um, they, uh, it says, he will put the sheep on his right, you're right, and the goats on the, I'm not calling you goats, the goats on the left, next. Then the king, the king, Jesus, will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed of my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from, uh, from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, you invited me in. I needed clothes, you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, you came to visit. And the righteous will answer and say, Lord, when did we see you? Hungry and thirsty and naked and in prison and sick. And he'll say, when you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. Did you catch that? When did we see you? We didn't see you. They saw the need. Their hearts resonated with it. They took from their blessing and blessed those who were in need. And when they did, they were serving Jesus. They were blessing Jesus. They were fulfilling their purpose. They were confirming their faith and love in Jesus. Peter, Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? And what did Jesus said? Well, you know I do, Lord. And what did Jesus say? Feed my sheep. Show me. Okay. Don't know that we're Christians by our love. It's okay. another song. We're one in the Spirit. Okay. They don't know that we're Christians by our love. By what we do, not by what we say. By, not by what we stand for. Okay. Not by our Facebook posts. I don't want to be stepping on any, any toes. I, I use Facebook. But that's not it. It's about what we do. As a local church, collectively as a part of the body of Christ individually, we must be aware of the times. We're in the world, but we must not be part of the world. We're born again by the Spirit. We should be lights to the lost. A safe harbor for those seeking refuge. A source of blessing to those in need. 
Lord, open our eyes. We want to see you. We want to see you in the faces of those who have need. And we want you to see us. We want to see you to see us serving them and serving you. Well, the second part of what I'm going to talk to you about this morning is continuing with the theme of Matthew uh, 25. Is I want to talk to you a little bit about Pathfinder Mission. Matthew 25 has been a chapter that has shaped our ministry. Much like Matthew 22, verses 37-39, which we have behind me. James 1.27, pure and undefiled religion is this, to visit the orphans and the widows in their affliction. Acts 1.8, Proverbs 3.5 and 6, the list goes on and on and on about that that has shaped the ministry that Marty and I have been a part of since 2005 and before that with men's ministry, 1993 and on. As you know, Marty and I spent a number of years serving as missionaries. In fact, we were sent out from Gateway as missionaries in 2005. First to southern Mississippi with Pathfinder Mission, and then to Haiti with, as Pathfinder Mission, where we built orphanages, uh, organized crusades, and... Uh, did a number of other things. And then we served alongside Children's Hope, uh, where we organized schools, fed children, drilled wells, discipled pastors, and did some other things while we were in Haiti. And then recently, we returned from Haiti and are no longer on staff with Children's Hope, but the intent of our return was not to stop helping in Haiti, just to stop living there. Since my return this past July, uh, Marty and I have been seeking God and understanding what's the next step going to be. As Marty said the other day to me, uh, God is not done with us. And I said, I know that. We're just not sure what he's going to do. And with what I make a habit of doing, and I would encourage you to make, make, make this your habit as well, is... That when I am faced with a spiritual dilemma, I speak to, I seek out those that I have confidence in, that they are grounded Christians, and I know that they will pray for us, and they will provide solid biblical counsel to us. So I reached out to several men across the United States as I sought to understand this, and their response was. Wait. What kind of counsel is that? Wait. I don't want to wait. I want to do something. But sometimes we need to wait. Henry Blackaby, in Experiencing God, said this. He said, you've heard the saying, don't just stand there and do something. Well, what God often says is, don't just do something, stand there. And that was the message to us, is you need to wait. So we said, okay, Lord, we'll wait. And then he showed us. 
And what he showed us is that we're to reconstitute Pathfinder Mission and that we are to continue to serve the people in a region called Anstaclair. Uh, that's in southwest Haiti. That's the last place we were. We, we actually lived in a town called Jeremy. I want to share quickly three principles with you. Three principles with you that God has taught us as we've been following his leading. The first principle is this. Everything that God asks you to do requires faith and spiritual understanding. Everything. He doesn't ask you to do things that you can do. Why would he do that? This is about his glory. This is about God showing up in the middle of wherever he sends you. So that people won't look to you, but they'll look to him. And it requires faith and spiritual understanding on your part. God is spirit. Our new life is spiritual. Our ministry to the world must have its source in faith. In God the Father, who is the provider and the source. Zechariah 4.6 is not, not on the screen. It says this. It's not by power, nor by strength. But by my spirit, says the Lord God of hosts. It's all about God. It's all about his power. And it's all about our obedience. Second, God always asks you to exercise more faith than the time before. So you say, okay, well, hey, I did that. I mean, I could, if we had more time, if this was in Haiti, I would have more time. If, if, if I had more time, I could, I could lay out a list of things that we've done that required faith and said, okay, well, there, see? And God says, well, actually, Charlie, I'm infinitely deep, okay? And you're just up to your ankles, okay? So I'm going to ask you to go in up to your knees. So the next thing that he asks you to do requires more faith. You know, Hebrews 11.1, 1, what faith is, right? Substance of things hoped for, evidence of things not seen. Okay. doesn't mean that you're going to see. That's why you need faith, because you have to trust God in this thing. Because you can't see, how can God, how can we possibly do this thing? Do you, do you know what you're asking us to do, Lord? And I'm reminded, I was told, don't talk back to your parents. We need to trust. Faith. He'll always ask you to exercise more than you did the time before. The third is that God always provides what you need in His timing to do what He has called you to do. Jehovah Jireh. God is the provider. And when He calls you to do something... If it's him, then he will provide for it. If it's God, you don't have to worry about, well, is this going to fail or not? Because God doesn't fail. It's kind of like, like, I call it the Gamaliel principle. 
You familiar with Gamaliel? Okay. Actually, he was Paul's teacher, which is interesting. But he's the guy that stood up when Peter and John were about to get hammered by the religious leaders. And he said, wait, the principle is this. You've seen these guys come and go. They rose up. They had followers. They died. The followers departed. So do you know that's you know that that will happen. What happened? Jesus came, had followers. We killed him. Now, if it's a, if it's not of God, the same thing's going to happen. The followers disperse. There'll be nothing done. But if this is of God, you're going to be fighting against Him. So the principle is this. If God's in it, no one can stop it. It's going to happen. If God's in it, no one can stop it. It's going to happen. God is sovereign. Okay. You serve a sovereign God. He has no limits. Our limitation is our lack of faith. And just as the man said, Jesus, I believe. Help me with my unbelief. God always provides. Listen, when God shows you the need and you see the need, you must act. Now, not everybody is supposed to do everything. I'm talking to you about Pathfinder Mission this morning. Okay. There are other ministries that Gateway is connected to. Vital, very important, God-empowered, Spirit-present ministries. And so God may speak to your heart about responding to that need, and you should do that. I'm talking about principles here this morning and sharing what God is doing in Pathfinder Mission for your awareness. But you may or may not feel compelled to come along Pathfinder Mission through Gateway. And you know what? That is okay. I want you to obey God, not my voice, or listen to my persuasion about doing something. You listen for the Spirit to say, this is the way. Walk in it. Well, let me tell you quickly what... uh, You guys need to shine a light on that clock in the back. (laughs) Just because it's hard to see because of these lights. Just shine a light on there. I I noticed one day in the Haitian church... A Christ for All Church, where I, I preached there once a month while we were in Haiti, and they had a clock on the side wall, and it didn't work. <laughs> and so I, I made mention of that. I said, you know, that clock doesn't work, so I can speak as long as I want, and those hands will never move. When I came back the next month, the clock was right in front of me, <laughs> and the hands were moving. I said, okay, I I can take a hint, but you should put a light on that. Okay, next next slide. It says to do 
do not withhold good from those to whom it's due when it's within your power to do. Okay. What's that saying? That's saying that if you have the capacity to help, the Spirit has prompted you to help, you need to help. Because to know what to do and not do it is what? Sin. Yeah, that's right. Okay, do we have any pictures? Okay, go to the next one. Oh, that that first picture, that was my website, our website, uh, www.pathfindermission.org. I just updated it. I had redid the whole thing. So, if you have time, go out and look at that. Um, Pathfinder Mission. We're limiting the scope of our ministry effort to Anstaclare which is a rural mountainous region in the southwest of Haiti. We have five points of ministry in Anstaclare. Our purpose is to work through the local church to help Haitians help Haitians. We intend to point the people in the villages to the local church and not to a ministry from the United States. The face of our ministry in Haiti will be the local pastor, not Charlie or Marty, or short-term missionary. We want to be transparent to the people. We don't want them to look to the United States as their source. We want them to understand that it is God who provides. Okay, let's go to the next one. Here's our ministry focus. First is building storm-resistant homes. I'll talk, I'm going to talk about that in a minute. Uh, second, providing public sanitation. Third, well, you guys can read. So, you, you, can, you can see what we're doing. Let's go to the next one. You see that? This is a typical house in Anstaclair. Barely standing. An entire family lives in this house. One room. As I drove through Anstaclair and walked through the forest, my heart was stirred by what I saw. People living the best they could with what they had. When Pastor Frankie, who's the lead pastor for the seven churches in Anstaclair, told me about the housing project, I knew Marty and I were supposed to do something about it. We don't want to send a team of builders to Haiti to build a three-bedroom, two-bath, stainless steel appliances and granite countertops. That's not what we're going to do. Instead, we're going to replace shanties with homes built by Haitians with the help of the homeowners using local materials. The houses will have an outside toilet and a rain catch system on the roof. The house will cost about $1,000. That's the replacement house. There's three to four rooms, a metal roof. Like I said, there'll be a toilet, a rain catch system so the family have potable water when it rains. And the homes will be built by the Haitians. Okay, next. And the Lord said, the saints said, Lord, when did we see you? We saw these people. We saw the need and we knew we needed to reach out. Our goal is to build 70 houses to start. Ten houses with, for each of the seven churches. 
Gateway has already committed funds that were set aside for Haiti to build the first ten with the goal of raising funds through contributions from you to build another ten. Where God guides, he provides. When, when we know that God is in it, we don't fret over the money. When it's time, God will provide the money to do what he's committed to do. Next. Okay, back up one. I'll just speak to this. Um, public sanitation is the second area. When I met with Pastor Blaze, the pastor of a church in Torbeck, uh, one of the seven churches, I asked him what the greatest need in the community was. His answer, toilets, public restrooms. Presently, the people use the fields. When I visited the fishing village in La Serene, I saw only one toilet that they had there for the community. I dare say no one in this room would have used it. We're going to do two things. First, we're going to build public toilets. Gateway has already committed to help us with five toilets. I say toilets, there will be five to six toilets in, in, a, in one building. Secondly, we're going to train Haitians in the churches about public health so they can teach the people. Next week, Drew and, and John uh, are going to Anse Declare to scout out the land. They're going to Jacques Mel as well. But their purpose is to meet with Pastor Frankie and to meet with some of the local area pastors to see what this Anse Declare is about. One of the other things that was on that list was we've been distributing Bibles since 2005 in Mississippi, uh, first in Waveland, and then when we went to Haiti, we distributed Bibles there. We've distributed hundreds of Creole Bibles in Jacmel and Anse de Claire. And the people who can't, can't, the people can't afford to buy a Bible. A Bible costs $8. That's, they can't afford to spend $8 on a Bible. They don't have $8. But when they get them, they cherish them. Many people can't read. The, the, the parents can't read, but the children can. And so the children read the Bible to the parents. Safe water. It's a problem all over the world, even in the United States. You've probably been tracking what's happening up in Michigan. Okay. I was once asked to describe Haiti in one word. And what my answer was, water. said, many people spend their day getting water. Walking miles to get water. We're looking for village solutions for water. Right now, in La Serene, they get their water out of the river that empties into the ocean. It's a fishing village. But they're downstream, of course. And so all the other villages upstream dump everything into the water. And they, that's where they get their drinking water. We need... They have no electricity. They have no fuel. They have no one trained in mechanical repair. Finding a solution is difficult, but not impossible. There are thousands of people and organizations that are working on solutions for that. And we want to enable that for La Serene and for all of those remote villages that we've been ministering to. 
Okay, as the praise team comes up, spreading the gospel is at the root of everything that we do. It doesn't help. It doesn't help for us to give a man a cup of water and not tell him about Jesus Christ, the source of living water. It doesn't help. They have to be coupled together. That's why we're there, is to bring them Jesus and to bring them some temporary aid. Ephesians 2.10 says, God has a purpose for each of us, Christian. You have been uniquely shaped and gifted spiritually and materially to help those in need. Don't walk on the other side of the road. Ask the Lord. Should I do something here? Lord, show me. What should I do? Should I help with what Pathfinder Mission is doing in Haiti? Should I help with foster care? Should I help with some other ministry in, in Montgomery, Alabama? Lord, you show me. I need to be obedient to what you're showing me. The answer will not be the same for all of us. But the message is the same for all of us. Do you love me? Show me. Fulfill your purpose. Look at the world through spiritual eyes. And let your light shine. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, God, for this church for these people, for their heart, for you, God. God, open our eyes. Help us see to your glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.